Hey, Kingdom Root listeners. Before we jump into our episode today, I wanted to let you know about a special offer that's happening right now through Northern Seminary as for our Kingdom Roots listeners. For every new student who is interested in applying and is accepted at Northern Seminary, they are offering a $50 Amazon gift card to everyone who applies and is accepted. So I wanted to let you know about that and to talk a little bit about why I love Northern Seminary and why it's been a great fit for me. I started at Northern in the fall of 2019 in the MDiv program with an emphasis on New Testament studies. And I'm a teacher's assistant uh, for Scott McKnight and for the students that are all in the Master of Arts in the New Testament program. And it's been great to get to know students and to be a part of this program. One of the reasons that I wanted to go to Northern was because of the scholarship that is offered there, the level of of uh, just great uh, studies that the professors offer. We have Scott McKnight, Nijay Gupta, and Lynn Kohick, who are all professors in the New Testament program. And these are all leading scholars in their field. Um, They all publish regularly and they participate in academic discussions with other scholars. And you see all of that in the classroom, the kinds of discussions that we have and are able to have as a result of their scholarship is just really great and really helpful. Um, And the other piece is that uh, Northern Seminary is cohort based in the New Testament program. This means that every year a new group of students starts a cohort and begins the program together. And as they advance through their classes, They do all of their classes together. So it's a group of people who gets to know each other really well. Um, We help each other with questions about assignments and materials that we're studying. Um, And we get to know each other really well. And we support one another in our lives and in our work. And we become advocates for one another. And it's been a big blessing to me to get to know these other students and to learn from their experiences and to support one another as we go through life and ministry together. So right now, Northern is offering a $50 Amazon gift card to everyone who applies and is accepted in the upcoming fall quarter. So if you've ever thought about applying to seminary, this would be a great time to consider applying at Northern. Um, If you are interested in getting involved in this particular um, gift, I want to encourage you to go to seminary.edu backslash K-R apply. That's K, the letter K, the letter R, and then A-P-P-L-Y all together um, to apply for this special offer. So um, start your application today. And again, that's seminary.edu backslash K R A P P L Y. Now here's today's episode, and I think you'll enjoy it. Welcome to the Kingdom Roots podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. My name is Laura Taro, and today on the podcast, we have Dr. Marshall Hatch as our guest to talk about pastors and plagiarism. 
Reverend Dr. Hatch is the senior pastor of the New Mount Pilgrim Missionary Baptist Church of West Garfield, Illinois, since 1993, and he is the associate professor of ministry at Northern Seminary. understand that the two of you uh, began a conversation about pastors borrowing words from one another. And Scott, I think it would be great if you could explain to our listeners how this conversation came about. And I believe it had something to do with something called Sermon Gate. So could you explain to our listeners what that is? Yeah. Well, let me, yeah. Sermon Gate, of course, is this uh, story about the Southern Baptist pastors using one another. But um, when I was uh, a young professor at our church, someone accused the pastor of plagiarizing sermons. And I did not know anyone ever did such a thing. Uh, I knew of sermon aids where people could find sermons to read. And I didn't think of people preaching other people's sermons. I just never heard of such a thing. So I was actually on the committee to evaluate and we discovered that he not only was using sermons from a sermon source, but he was using the first person stories of those sermons as his own. And I remember saying something to his wife about one of those stories, that that must have been a really interesting experience. And she looked at me rather strangely and said, yeah, it was. And, and I said to Chris on our way home, I said, that was a really strange response. I expected something more than that, but um, it, 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 I, it's something that I have followed uh, for the last pretty, pretty vigorously since I've been blogging because I one time wrote a blog about plagiarism because it, it deeply concerns me. It's stealing people's words. Um, and I had a pastor call me in tears, confessing his sins, and he was gonna tell his congregation and he did, and he was disciplined for a year um, and and made it right. Uh, but over the years, I've had a number of pastors confess this. So when um, Ed Litton, I think that's his name, the new president of the Southern Baptist Convention, you know, if you become the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, you better you better be ready for your opponents because there's, there's some pretty fierce people there. They, uh, they began to map his sermons and they found him using some sermons of J.D. Greer and then like 125 sermons from his uh, arsenal in his church website started to disappear. So the new, uh, I think it was the New York Times published a big article about it. And, and Dr. Hatch, Pastor Hatch gives me a call and we had a good conversation. And I'll tell you, he used one of the greatest expressions ever. And I'll, I'll wait for him to use it because I just loved it. But um, uh, Pastor Hatch, I'd like I'd like you to tell people how, in a sense, how you uh, prepare your sermons and the importance of the sermons being your own and um, how we cite people. You know, in a footnote, we can cite somebody in a written article. You, you can't, if you cite everything you get from everybody in a sermon, it's just a nuisance. That's not how we preach. But at the same time, there's a, a level of responsibility for a congregation to know what you're doing. So 
I'm really excited to have Pastor Hatch with us today. Um, he brings a history of wisdom to us. And I just want to, I want to hear him talk about this stuff. He's, he's got stuff for us all to hear. So welcome. Thank you, Scott. And and I, I appreciate you for having me on it and uh, Laura as well. Listen, I called you. I did call you because I saw your name in the New York Times. And I said, <laughs> I know, I know that guy. And, uh, <laughs> and so, you know, we did have a, you know, a preliminary conversation about uh the issue of plagiarism, pastors, and uh, and I think I did uh, suggest that you know one of the responsibilities of a pastor is to dig their own wells. There you know? it is. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's uh, and you know the imagery comes from I think maybe Genesis eighteen about Isaac you know digging wells and having to keep moving every time he dug one until he found a, the Lord gave him a resting place. But it, it, um, it, you know, what we owe our congregants ultimately, and especially those of us that have been doing these long-term pastorates, you know, I never thought I'd reach this point. I still feel relatively young uh, in my own mind, uh, but I've been a pastor for 36 years. Wow. And, and you just need to, in an authentic way, have a relationship with God, a relationship with uh, the Bible, where you're in this dialogue with people who've been in dialogue with God, which are narratives out of the scripture. And it, and it should ultimately be a part of your own journey that you're sharing with people. Uh, you know, one of the things that's been very interesting in COVID, uh, uh, the, the pandemic, and I knew it at the time because, you know, just I've been doing this so long. I had a sister to pass uh, of COVID. My oldest sister was like, a, my mom passed when I was eight. She died. And uh, and so my oldest sister, who was 74 when she passed, uh, April 4th of 2020. Uh, and we were on, you know, by then we were online with our services. And I knew that, that I and my personal grief was on public display. But often, you know, that's part of what we offer the congregation. And particularly when I've been sitting with families decade after decade uh, through times of grief, when it's my time, uh, you know, I, I have to uh, know that it becomes a great teaching moment for people to example what what we've been teaching and challenging them as we go through our own seasons of grief. And I knew also that my relationship with God, my relationship with the scripture, the authenticity of that, uh, as I preached in that season, I knew it would have profound impact, particularly upon people that I was discipling, you know, closely in leadership here at the church. And so, uh, you know, it just, again, is the, is the power of being able to uh, have an authentic relationship that people can be discipled by their proximity and, and, and to you as you have this, uh, you know, this, this very genuine journey with God in your own life. And that can only obviously comes out with 
literally preaching your own sermons because yeah. it's part of your own en encounter with the scripture. You, you know, I um, I told you about this. Um, reading Jared Alcantara's book about Gardner Taylor. And and he talks about things we can learn from Gardner Taylor, this great uh, African-American preacher in New York City. Um, and what, the first lesson was pain. And Gardner Taylor basically said, you're not a real preacher till you're preaching from your own pain. <laughs> and there's there you can't preach from somebody else's pain. You know, Helmut Tillich, the great German theologian, pastor, whatever, uh, he was everything, um, talked about first person and second and third person theology. You know, the only theology that is real is first person, where it's I mm. have met God here. And so when we talk, and you brought up that whole idea of digging your own wells, I mm. thought, that's really what it is. It's it's not just a nice metaphor. It is a, it's a history. Yeah. So, you know, um, yeah. No, I was just going to say, you know, one of the great illustrations that I've had recently. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in this, uh, it's, it's an African-American missionary Baptist church. So whenever you have missionary Baptists, the black ones, right? And so yeah. uh, it's been an incredible journey. So we, we, have had our challenges. And one of the challenges I had probably in about 2015, uh, you know, it, we, we had IRS trouble, which I can tell you there's nothing like it, you know, to have to catch up on your payroll taxes and the, the way, you know, if I thought I was a second class citizen, I knew that I wasn't when it came to the IRS, I can mm. tell you that. <laughs> and so uh, it, was, it was incredible pressure myself and my board and I do this uh, like 21 day devotional in October that I write and again you know talking about digging your own wells I just found it useful to write my own devotional journals for my congregation and personalize the stories and deal with a theme and scripture and so I had that season it was faith and I'll take some some of the messages out of the journal and teach them on Wednesday, preach them on Sunday in that season from October 1st to 21st. And we were right smack dab in the middle of the IRS crisis. And I was preaching on faith. <laughs> and any preacher going through the storm knows that the preaching moment is everything in the personal storm. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm going through it and, and I knew I was preaching. I knew it was good, you know, <laughs> and so <laughs> people were giving me these accolades that were meaningless, you know, because I was in this personal pain. So it mm. didn't matter. You know, there was no vanity involved at all. At that point, I'm going home suffering on Sunday night, looking forward to another week of mm. having to do this business. And so I went home one Sunday night and I remember folks saying, oh, the pastor you sure preached on faith. And I went home and said to myself, they thought I was talking to them. <laughs> <laughs> I was preaching to me, trying to yeah. get some strength. Yeah. And I let well, them what, <laughs> uh, Pastor Hans, what do, what, do, um, what do young ministers, what do ministers lose when they begin to plagiarize sermons? What do you think, what do you think happens? What happens to them? When they yeah, start you, 
it's going to be some other people's wells. It seems easy enough and and efficient enough in the beginning. But once you have this long term ministry, uh, you'll, it, 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 it'll become clear of how deficient that becomes over time in terms of being effective in ministry. Because one of the things that I've learned in 36 years, and we've got some interesting subculture, and what we do in terms of preaching stylistically and rhythmically and call and response. But one of the things that I've had to do for these 36 years is I've had to go through these seasons of reinvention of my approach of my encounter. I mean, ultimately, I have to be growing personally in order to stay uh, not just relevant, but stay um, useful to have utility to other people. I have to I have to be in continuous growth. And then particularly when part of your mission is growing leaders who may not go away, but be with you for the long haul. Well, you absolutely have to grow because they 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 have growth needs, and so that you simply cannot do just simply stealing other people's you know sermons that they've derived from their own spiritual journeys with God, and so there's no substitute for the, the yeah. just the the uh, hard labor of. Of, of having an authentic relationship with God and preaching from that place. When I've heard of preachers who plagiarize sermons and I've listened to them, there's a, there's a shallowness about the sermon that it lacks context. And uh, one of Gardner Taylor's big things is that he preached to his audience on those Sundays. It wasn't generic sermons for the whole American church. It was for his local congregation. How do you, um, you know, you're working with leaders. You're teaching, you're teaching students at our at Northern Seminary. How can you, um, as a pastor, encourage students? What what would you do to encourage them to dig their own wells? What what are some of the things that they could practice so that they, over time, become Pastor Hatch? Well, yeah, you know, just, and I appreciate that, you know, the way you framed the last part of that question, but, but I, but I want to say that, you know, if you're going to be in it for the long haul, there's simply no other way than to have that, the kind of authentic relationship with God when you're growing. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, I know that a lot of the, research methods have been uh, very effectively simplified by Googling. Mm -hmm. uh, but I probably got my most substantial personal growth in the scripture and with, you know, with God through the scripture, through that meticulous researching of sermons and doing my own research. 
Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I remember, you know, I had this, you know, you get all these stories right after so many years. And this man, there was a guy that preached a sermon. I won't call his name down in Georgia at big church down there. And he was talking about, you know, jealousy is a bad thing. And man, he preached it. So it was uh, such a, uh, a fiery message. And I felt like the seed of that message had went down in my spirit and it was going to come back one day. And so one day I came, you know, thinking to myself, I'm going to preach on jealousy on Sunday. And so I, you know, went to the scriptures, you know, to, to eisegete and try to find the scripture that was in, that would buttress, you know, jealousy is a bad thing, except. The problem is every scripture I went to, jealousy seemed to be connected to the theme of God is a jealous God, meaning that Yahweh has a right to expect Israel's unrivaled allegiance because of what Yahweh has done, where he brought you out of. And so, you know, it was clear to me that it was going to be difficult to find a verse. <laughs> Because <laughs> this was kind of like chained from beginning to end. You know, jealousy isn't bad. It's actually based upon, then I, you know, so, and then I started going in personal experience about people that I've had counsel. One was a, a cute couple that had been married probably close to 50 years. And it was, and it was a little jealousy in there. And I told them, I said, I thought you all had a problem. If you still got a little jealousy after 50 years, it means you got a pretty healthy marriage. And so, uh, but the bottom line is I've discovered what I really was looking for was covetousness, mm. not jealousy. And just, it just, you know, affirmed again and again that when you dig your own wells, now I don't know why that sermon worked so well for that preacher, but I just knew I couldn't authentically preach it any of that concept because when I went to the scripture I just had a totally different mm. different um, encounter with God and I think mm. I ended up preaching about covetousness which is bad which <laughs> is wanting what rightfully is you know the possession of somebody else so mm. it ended up being a much much better certain but I couldn't my personal integrity uh, uh, never allows me to say what the scripture does not say. Um, a quick question. How, how do you practice teaching your congregation where you learn things? In other words, if you've been reading some preacher and his sermons or her sermons, and, or you've been reading a great book and it really knocks your socks off and you begin to think, how do you communicate to your congregation your, uh, who are your teachers, continual teachers now? That's, that's a great question. I, I, I find that that's why citations, one reason why they're so important. They help people to grow. And once people, you know, become a list, accustomed to listening to that same voice, then they know, oh, he's getting ready to give us a source. Meaning that, you know, I was reading, oh, this is a good book. And this and part of where, you know, this this helped me to really think about this. And I'll name the book and the author. 
And the folks that have been listening for a while and growing, then they know that that aside, that citation, it can give them a place to go deeper to understand how your encounter with the scripture was enhanced by some source you cited. And they get a great deal of satisfaction that, you know, they get to go behind the veil with you and and try to uh, see encounter things that have shaped you and shaped your thoughts so it becomes almost a fun part you know of yeah of uh preaching to the same congregation and it reminds them that um, it's not all you you learn from others and they're oh, learning from you and yeah you know jared alcantara in his book says something that uh, i just am dying to ask you about that um, in the african-american church Preaching is learned by sitting under a preacher far more than sitting in a classroom and reading a book about preaching. Can you, can you uh, talk about the, um, the African-American preaching tradition being passed from someone to Marshall Hatch and Marshall Hatch to someone's? Yeah, there's, a, there's an apprenticeship uh, you know, tradition to African American preaching. It's 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 uh and you, and you can't get it's like Elijah and Elisha. I mean, you have to carry this the the briefcase. You have to have had that season of humility where you were just the briefcase carrier. And and uh, you know, and so I learned such powerful lessons even after going through these institutions, you know, of, of higher education. But, but uh, a few old Southern pastors, and I can remember clearly, I was, I was interim pastor of my first church, 26 years old. And I was, uh, you know, I, I had you know, a couple of secular degrees. And, and I learned more one afternoon with a preacher named, you know, because in our tradition, you didn't have to really have a doctorate to be called doctor. Uh, you know, if you did enough healing work over several decades, you got doctorized, you know, by the culture. <laughs> and, but he was Dr. Joseph Allen, and he taught me so much about pastoring in one afternoon. And his whole theme was the preacher's defense is defenseless. And at the core, it was really about never using your authority or your power or your position unfairly. And sometimes let yourself be victimized. Because mm -hmm. the church is a is a is a is a is a is an organism with a tender heart. And if you find yourself in a church fight, it's often the victim that wins the heart. So let them beat you up a little bit. And, and, and other than using your authority or your, you know, your training uh, to fight back. It's sort of like Jesus. When people want to crucify you, maybe you should just let them. <laughs> so, it, it, yeah, just it, it's, it's those moments. I mean, the church I'm in now. The pastor could not read when he started preaching. 
and uh, he, he passed here 28 years. He became my mentor. This is my 28th year. You know, I've got a certain amount of sense of a season that I've caught my mentor in terms of service in this congregation. But in many ways, he brought me along. He didn't have education. And uh, a, a major part of the healthy part of, 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 of black culture is the people with the least amount of education have often valued it the most in this subculture. And he was certainly one of those that he wanted to, he wanted the congregation moving forward. And he nurtured me and brought me along and put me in front of these people. And it's been an incredible journey. Well, Pastor Hans, do people, uh, the young pastors come and sit in your congregation for, for months? I mean, did you do that sort of thing to take in the, um, the flavor of the pastor? When I was a seminary student, I went anywhere I could to hear John R. W. Stott because he traveled all over the world. He'd come to Chicago land, and I tried to hear him every time he preached. And I, I just love John Stott. Um, I read Charles Spurgeon's sermons, etc., and I, I realized uh, that I learned a lot from those people. But I was not John Stott, and I wasn't Charles Spurgeon. I had to be who I was, dig my own well. Yes. But um, is is it common to have future preachers? Uh, just sort of sitting in the front row with their feet crossed, listening and taking it all in, in the African American church. Oh, absolutely! You know, people follow folks, and I've had folks that have, I'm sure have followed me in my congregation. Some that moved on, some that were part of other congregations. Uh, but the interesting uh, uh, season we are now of social media. Uh, yes you might not know who you're mentoring these yeah. days because you're on yeah. every week and with replay on demand. So it's a yeah. rich season. Yeah. Well, here's my experience um, with you is that one of your students was a student of mine when I first started at, Nor at Northern Seminary and uh, oh, he couldn't, he couldn't say a word in class. And we invited him and his wife up to our house. He couldn't say anything without bringing up my pastor. My pastor. <laughs> this must be some pretty big guy. <laughs> pastor Marshall had. But when you started hanging out a little bit at Northern, Marshall, I uh, I learned to hang on your words, brother. Wow. You talk, you talk in a faculty meeting. I remember last year at retreat, you started talking about pastoring in a time of COVID. And um, and I think that it reflects your wisdom, your experience, your practical experience. My experience with pastors is they want to listen to people who've pastored and have done it well and have learned what it's really like rather than just, okay, that's a nice passage from Paul, but come on, I want to hear someone who's done this in, the, in our world today. And um, you're, you are that uh, for our seminary. Mm. And uh, we're, really, we're really honored to have you at the seminary. And I am so happy that our students are going to be able to sit in your classes and, and you're going to tell them your stories and offer them your wisdom because you've drank deeply from, 
from the deep wells of scripture and the Lord and and other others in the tradition. So I just want to thank you for for who you are and what you're doing. Well, I appreciate that, Scott. And of course, you know, you have had such an incredible impact on our students and uh, and, and on the seminary and by extension, you know, the, the kingdom of God, the body of Christ. I just think we have some incredible opportunities at Northern to help train and and pour into uh, the next generation. It's probably a seminary with um, that that balance of, of scholarship and practical, the academy and in the field uh, that is that is that is very rare, I think. And so I I look forward to uh, you know being a team member with people like Scott McKnight. <laughs> <laughs> and and you know making the most of the, this season that God has given us I think that this uh, this pandemic has been a revival in, uh, for the kingdom of heaven uh, it has it, it, the level of commitment of people mm -hmm. uh, the way people have grown the hunger that's been reignited because we've had to not have in-person services. Uh, I can't help but, you know, see the pandemic as, you know, personally as pastor, my, you know, my finest hour. I mean, I, 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 I tear up listening to congregates who talk about, you know, we saw you when you had to go through with your sister and, you know, to watch you preach and teach and remain faithful to a preaching to a camera, going through all of the transformations that the pandemic has done and challenging us in our ability to communicate with a congregation and to example it. Uh, I mean, I almost get tears in my eyes every time I think about it because I just knew this was an opportunity to demonstrate faith to people that, uh, that I've been teaching faith to. So. Hmm. It's it's our finest hour. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. It's really good. Amen. Okay. Well, goodness. Yeah, it's so fun to listen to you both talk about this. And I just to wrap it up as I'm listening to you, some of the themes I'm hearing is is the pastor's job is to serve their congregation. And part of the way that they serve their congregation is spending deep time with God in scripture and then using their own personal journey to teach and to lead the people they're entrusted with. And I think that's just a really mm -hmm. beautiful image of, of that task. And I love the metaphor of digging your own well. That's exactly it. Spending time with God and drawing upon that alone time in scripture um, to, to serve your congregation and to model for them um, what that looks like, even in our own pain. So I appreciate that. This is, this is really rich stuff. I've been preaching very for a very brief amount of time so i'm very much still learning i'm eager to learn so this is very helpful um and for our listeners too i think just to reflect on why it's so important to use your own words and not the experiences of others when it comes time to teaching scripture so thank you both and we look forward to being with you next time as we continue our conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now thank you both so much 